All right. Welcome back. Hello. Again, it's good to see you. How are you doing? It hasn't even been that long. No, that's true. <laughs> it's just been a weekend. That's true. Everyone was freaking out. I went. To, I was at a med- my meditation day yesterday. Three times a year, I meet with with my group and my teacher. Right. And everyone was freaking out about this weather storm, snow, sleet coming through. And oh, did you get? We got some snow yesterday. I didn't. You did. I did. I looked uh, yeah. out my window, but it didn't stick. But it was. Yeah. It got really thick and blowy lo- all over I the place. I just love, you know, watching us in this country like freaking out about the weather oh yeah we well, love to do it we love the to do it weather's the big thing here it's a big conversational piece yeah. especially because it's usually together. very mild yeah well yeah compared to well Most no definitely places. where i live it's definitely florida's not so bad but oh, we have our hurricanes don't forget yeah but you don't get cold cold no we don't but no. we have other like yeah weather that we can get all worked up about yeah true yeah. enough but yeah so all right um yeah no it was um how about international women's day did you do anything for it i didn't i didn't but um yeah was, that's cool yeah yeah go women go women hey, love we, women it's so funny watching like well, I know you don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, but just seeing what's trending on Twitter and how yeah. lots of different things can be made. I mean, it was some good stuff that was on there, but then also there's just stuff where people make an issue out of, of things oh, I know. that are yeah, good yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it was... I mean, Nitpicking. Yeah. I think that for me, the thing, and, and this sort of is has to do with one of the things I've chosen to talk about today, Um but I think what's really good and important that's happening now is that so many stories of, of women who have been successful in just various fields and just important women that have brought us forward in thought and in creation and in mm. whatever is, is out there now. You know, for all the like, kids you know, that are my kids' age, they have these books now like Rebel Stories for Girls and stuff and um, – I, there's another one that that's really good that we have actually and uh you know i think it's quite easy to forget sometimes how much women are required to um look to leaders that are often men and that men don't often have to do the same thing they're not required as often to look to role models that they can't really find a gender thing. And for me, you know, I think about, how, this about your, how about moms, man? Well, no, but I mean, you think about Buddhism, for instance, yeah. like wow. okay. every single teacher bar, like a few are men. Hmm. So it doesn't really necessarily occur to other male practitioners that that's even a thing because we're all just human. And that, and that is right. I think hmm. that is right. But also there is something in wanting to have, people to look to to as role models that are representative of you in different ways and one of those ways is is in your gender so um yeah so i think that's interesting you know and and i think what's what's really apparent is when when you think about it like we make a whole big thing about he she and whatnot and you know i don't really subscribe to getting over dramatic about this but i am very habituated to reading texts in which he is the normative like yeah you know pronoun used and it just doesn't even almost occur that that doesn't really whereas when when it's reversed i think i like that when it's reversed what i don't like is when it's he she 
Yeah, I know that's annoying. And I don't like it when it's like one book I read, they just randomly change. Like, so some chapters it's he, right. and some chapters it's she. I didn't have li- I was through. listening to Seth Godin's podcast, and you know yeah. how at the end of his Akimbo podcast, he does the questions from people. Yeah. And uh, one of the questions from a woman was, I noticed that you always use the pronoun she. And is that like, why have you made that? Because it's obviously a conscious choice when you're doing it that way. Um, Yeah. So he had a very um, nice thing to say about that and about the influence of his mother. Yeah. I'm I'm down with it if you just pick a gender, but it's the switching up. Just because it's it's a he, she. Yeah. It just messes up your brain. It's like it's hard to. Yeah. Connect with whichever gender. Yeah. If yeah, it yeah. keeps yeah. flipping and I, I noticed I noticed this too because um you know how into um like archetypes we are. Mm. And um there's a lot of friends of mine who are doing um a lot of work with, with archetypes in this um space called uh um a band of brothers. And so it's it's the same kind of thing. You have like the sovereign and then you have the magician, the warrior and the magician, warrior, lover are the different like male archetypes and stuff. And, and there's I've had quite a few conversations with people where not just in that context, but I suppose just even reading it myself where there's part of me that really can use those archetypes myself. And it doesn't really matter that they're men, but there is a thing also where if the roles were reversed and if the archetypal spread was all women characters, would you be able to relate to it as much? Like I wonder in, in cases of men versus women, it depends, like, cause like, would that, I, would that relationship, you know, I think because women are sort of um, trained to <laughs> associate with male role models and male archetypes and male pronouns more than yeah. Yeah, anyway, this is becoming a big gender conversation. Yeah, well, I'm going to say, like, my emblem, which I don't have on, is all female archetypes. Yeah, interesting. Okay, which ones? Um, There's, like, Venus and a few others that are in there. Okay, right. And some of my, in terms of tarot, some of the cards that I relate to a lot are some of the female ones, like the um, Empress and High Priest. Um, so okay, yeah, I, I, again, yeah, yeah. a lot of it just depends on where you're, where yeah. you are in your evolution and your thinking. Indeed, indeed. Think. So yay, yay, Women's Day. But I didn't really do anything for yeah. it. But I was a woman on Women's Day, so I don't know. I was a woman on Women's Day too. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. All right. So okay. Um, that was a long preamble. Yeah. To talk about what we're going to talk about today, but it's okay. Which is such a great topic. I love talking about books. Yeah. So yeah. So so. We decided to do another episode on books just to, and I know you're going to do your ones that top three that you read last year. Over the past year. Over the past year, yeah. Um, And I've kind of picked out three influential books that were on my shelf. I kind of, I kind of sat in my chair. Well, one I had to, I couldn't remember. You did that intuition, like what is speaking to me, nice. Well, I was just kind of went through every book on my shelf. One, it was good to see my category, my catalog of books, but. And I was thinking, well, in fact, the, the the phrase I was having in my head was, what book punched me in the face? Yeah, yeah. right. And so, yes, yeah, so I was, but then I realized that some of the ones that really punched me in the face, but I probably already talked about, which is why I sent you the text to say, what did I talk about last time? Um, but yeah, I think 
I may, I know I've talked about this book, maybe, but I haven't talked about these other two. No. Yeah, uh, so, um, okay. So do you want to go first? Go for it. Um, yeah, okay, I'll start. I'll start with an easy one, and we'll come back to the uh, another one. So I'll start with Balkan Ghost um, by Robert D. Kaplan. Um, and I, I chose this one, one probably as a representative of the genre that I really like which is literary travel writing and i've always been attracted to that type of writing because of the because it represents my mind as in one you got the travel but it's not they're not while it is about travel it isn't about travel at the same time they talk about history they talk about culture they talk about but it's in a very rambling kind of way depending on how the journey goes it kind of ambles along yeah yeah it's true and they talk about history art literature philosophy i mean you're like all over the place i was like that is my brain um is like that so i've always been um like i'm I'm not that big of a fan of travel writing where it's it is about the place and they're talking about where to eat that kind of stuff right yeah yeah and like a guidebook type thing but these journey ones in the literary style um, really turned me on. So the Robert Kaplan book, so I first came across, it's called Balkan Ghost, um, and it's about the sort of Balkan area, Macedonia, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, that kind of space, which was um, used, well, it's it's historical nickname was the powder keg of Europe, if you remember back yeah, from right. sort of World War One or in between the two wars and um, all this things that um that come out of the balkans um and i came across this book when we were getting ready to deploy to bosnia and when i was with um three five cav in germany and our brigade commander made us all the officers read this book and 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 actually it's an interesting tale of this book it is a travel writing book but for some reason, it took on a big significance with policymakers and the like. So the president read it and all sorts of other policymakers, all of a sudden it just, and he actually talks about this in um, the sort of introduction sort of piece or pre- preface. Um, just the fact is like, well, when, I, when he wrote it, he was a, like a, um, what do they call it? Like a reporter that's not attached to a paper. He was kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, freelance, whatever. Yeah, and so he was just, literally going through an area that he thought was going to be big that wasn't big at the time no one was really reporting on or talking about it which is why he found himself um kind of there and um, but yeah so it was required reading um but it really opened my eyes when like i don't know did we talk about this last week I, mean, I was talking about someone about sort of racism no it wasn't it was after our session Okay. Last week and during my coaching session, when we were done coaching, we started talking about big themes like that. Yeah. Um, and when I read some of the accounts in here of some of the things that Croats did to um, the Serbians and the vice versa and the like, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that how how do you expect someone to change their hatred? when you've seen some of the things that the other side has done to your all of your family your your mom your grandmother and and things like that um and it's like how how can you not how can you turn the other cheek you know with some of the things i don't know if i don't want to necessarily be really graphic but 
Um, well, why not? Because um, the scene that, well, the thing that sticks out of my head the most, the whole book is really good, but I remember deploying and they were like talking about how they lined all the, um, they took all these women and things, pregnant and stuff like that, and they hung them on these meat hook inside of, of uh, the slaughterhouse and then cut the babies out of their stomach. Um, and, you know, it was just like nothing. If one thing would, in my head, I was thinking, how could another human being, how could you actually do that as a human yeah. to any living thing, just, you know, gutting it like that? Um, but, but that they did it and it didn't bother them. Well, we can't say that as not. There's a violent, I mean, well, that's what Gandhi's <clears throat> talking about with the, with his commitment to nonviolent resistance because violence <laughs> does violence to both sides and not in the same level yeah but i get that i know what you're saying i mean yeah. it does it can't not affect you but it doesn't it would it it didn't affect them so here's and, and here's why i say it does affect you but it, and, and not in the way that maybe you're saying and or gandhi's might be saying so one of the reasons why we don't why it's dangerous to dehumanize the enemy is because when you dehumanize them, you don't see them as human. You see them as subspecies to that, which then you're able in your mind yeah. to do yeah. bad things to them because, well, yeah. they're not human. Um, but as long as they, in your eyes, maintain their humanity, then you're, you don't do things like that. Yeah. So even in our own but history. I think, I think that's what, what Gandhi sort of means by mm. violence is, and, and many, many people who have talked about the commitment to nonviolence that th through that act of dehumanizing someone, the, like the, the kind of per thing that you have to become in order to do that is the violence. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah no, 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 you're right. Yeah. Little, yeah. I mean, you, it point. changes you in that yes. sense is that you don't yes. see that person in that way. Um, so I guess when the statement I was making, it didn't bother them because yeah. they were already changed to whatever they yes. were changed to. So. Yeah. They did it and, you know, they go home and drink and do whatever and carry on with yeah. as if they were human because they just, but they've just done that. But you're right. So they've but already, then how do you they've already made this that? shift. But how do, how, how does the, how, the victim, if I'm a little kid yeah. and I've seen this happen, how do I move by that? And why would I not yeah. hate the other side for the rest of my life? I've been, you know. Yeah been a part of that so that really stuck out at me but again just as a book itself if you were ever interested in that region and getting because he does a really good job of balancing both sides so he doesn't kind of take and say well why does this book stay with you well that scene one stays with me mm -hmm. um so, so the, the things that the it brought up about hate about, hatred and yeah. how do you and then yeah. you know me living from a sort of racism point of view and i don't know if i said told this story on on the podcast when I went to North Carolina with my grandmother and she was just walking me around the hometown and saying, well, I couldn't go down on this street. And if you want that street, you get lynched and you know, this restaurant. You could. So she was pointing out all the things that she couldn't do. How old were you? Um, I would have probably been 19 or 20. I mean, I was, oh, right, oh, yeah, okay. I was, mm -hmm. I was, yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, in fact, I was probably 20 something because I, my one distinct thought when I went to this family reunion is that, I didn't want to bring my kids to it because of the stuff that I was listening and hearing. And, and in my head, the same thing that was happening in this Balkan ghost thing, I was like, well, how will, will racism ever stop if the kids are hearing what 
all the adults and how they talk and how they behave, right. it ain't going nowhere until that conversation stops and you start being a role model, changing um, the way that 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 you portray people. Yeah. And so I made the conscious decision that, like, yeah, I wouldn't ever take my kids to one of those family reunions. Um because it was, yeah, it was just, it's like, well, it's not going to go away. So that stuck yeah, in my head right. and those connections made. Um, and then just as a represent- representation of the genre, this book sticks out. So mm. if I was picking, if I was picking out a, if someone was saying, okay, what's the, yeah, what would literary travel writing book, what would be the best books that would represent the genre? genre? And I would say um, that this one and uh, another one that's like something Baghdad, I can't remember or something, but it was about the Middle East as well. Oh, this is about Balkans. The other one was about Middle East, but the two authors really, oh, and uh, Travels with Herodotus. I can keep going on, but I'll stop. But those would be the three that would represent the genre for me because of the how much they span history, art, culture. Mm. So when he goes into um, the various different countries and he's just traveling on a train as a, as a traveler, not right. as a tourist, um interviewing people talking to normal folks but you know he looks at their culture he looks at you know what's important just different stories in the regions and you know the mythologies in the region and all of that sort of stuff so it was because of that depth and breadth um that he goes in that really makes this a well for me a, a sort of fantastic book and written to it's, it's just a gripping book um to read and to understand yeah, that yeah. area of the world if you were ever going that way to interact and or sort of just travel. living in yeah. the global world that just we live globe, in. Yeah. in the global world that we live in that's yeah right. cool all right cool. so that's my first one what's yours right. what do you got um so i suppose i'll talk about um this one this is the only paper well hardback book i right. got everything else is on my kindle but um which I, I read this book on my Kindle as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Cave in the Snow, a Western Woman's Quest for Enlightenment. And it's um, a biography about um, this English woman um, who is now known as Tenzin Vyatso. Um, and she goes, she sort of very early on is quite profoundly aware of, I suppose, the same kind of things that you would say the Buddha was aware of in his story that there's a futility to um, just trying to pursue worldly pleasures, that it's never enough, it's never quite fulfilling and that everyone is going to get sick and die mm. and just to be positive about everything. But, you know, what, what that has spurred her to do is search for a, a sort of different path towards what what can be satisfying and um, meaningful or whatever and um yeah i suppose i suppose the book sort of grabbed me initially because she has some same um thought processes early on that i really recognize for myself that's always made me feel a bit of an oddball in the sense that you know quite early on she has this sort of sitting on a bus she must have been 13 she says and you know, she's sort of everyone's just chatting and looking around and suddenly it's as if she's sort of pulled out and just looks around and says, actually, we are all going to get older and sick and die. And 
does anyone else not realize this, you know? Mm. So um, anyway, that's the sort of spark that brings her um, east and she looks for someone who can teach her another way. And she goes to India and then um, links up with um, a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. In fact, I think she might find someone in England first because that was the sort of she was she's quite um, elderly now, but she was in that wave of the first Tibetans kind of coming over from um, yeah after um, mm. the Chinese took over Tibet. So um, yeah, I think the thing her the rest of her story basically is that she. Um, becomes a lifelong Buddhist nun and spends, um, well, 10 years in caves in, I think it's Nepal, but it's, you know, it's somewhere in the Himalayas. And then um, three of those are in complete solitude. So there's um, a tradition of three years and three months that you have to do your, this retreat in order to do these things, you know, so this is just part of like training as you get Mm. higher and higher in this kind of um yeah meditative life i guess and uh so yeah that's what she does and and sort of part of the story is about that so it was very very interesting and i think you know the what kind was your of, big takeaway what was your what was the spark well, there, were, big there idea? were two things one was that there are very few women who have really gone far in on the buddhist path like i don't mean to say that i mean i mean available to me as a sort of role model because there are plenty, but they're not written about and in any kind of detail and available in an English version of a book that I can pick up. So for me, um, it's quite important to see, yeah, people who have gone on the path before you and yeah, sort of what, I don't know, it gives you a bit of, um, faith that what you're doing can kind of yield the results that you want, I guess. And I suppose you need that for anything, don't you? You need that whether you're doing a sport or whether you're doing, whether you learn how to walk, that's how humans learn, isn't it? You just find something to model. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And I think for me, that kind of level of solitude and what the mind does, I mean, I suppose that's why, you know, turning 40, I'm not going to Mallorca or something to, you know, do a blowout party. I'm going to walk on the Camino for, you know, it's not a very long time, but, um, my curiosity is much more in the processes of the mind when all of the things, all the busyness that we have in our lives falls away. And then what, what do we do and how, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, have you done um, any long, extensive meditation where you come face to face with your mind in that way? No, I mean, really, the longest period of time has been a weekend of, you know, solitary meditative retreat. So that it, it very little. Mm. So I think, it, yeah, I think sort of. And, and is that something that's on your plans somewhere? I, I'm not planning going to a cave for three years. Well, not for three years, but a week but or two yeah, weeks no, or absolutely. something. Ten I think, days. you know, I think right now I'm very much in that, like, you know, householder's position of, of mm. having kids and a family. And I'm very committed to that. But I think that's what my future holds, I think, is that kind of pursuit. And then, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's uh, anything else that she said that really stuck out i'm sort of going back through my notes 
Um, just some of the realizations that, because, you know, the, the sort of story arc is really from her going from just a normal, you know, English upbringing. She lived, you know, she grew up above a chip shop or a fish and chip shop. Mm. And, um, you know, to sort of doing this very, very different thing with her life. And so because you start out pretty much where she starts out, it's quite an easy thing to follow. And um, so, so the, the sort of realizations that come, I think, that she shares with the woman who wrote the autobiography. Yeah. Do you know what always quite interests me? Like with books like that, not not that book in particular. Well, yes, about. So I wrote in my notes as you were speaking, and and I've had this conversation. I don't know if we've had this conversation before, um, but what intrigues me and something that I want to do at some point in time is that, like, so for Buddhism. It's all, it's all, like she's English, but she's turned to Buddhism, but that's not yeah. her native, natural no. place. So I was thinking cultural appropriation and we move towards some other culture. Um, like I, w- I would find it personally interesting and which I have in my sort of bucket list is instead of turning to Christianity or Zen or Buddhism or any other one, what if I trace my origin mm-hmm. and connect it back up with the archetypes that was a part of my origin. Yeah, totally. And how, Yeah. what would that be like? Because yeah. now I'm, you know, most archetypes and things I'm connected yeah. to are from different Completely. cultures. I think, I think the, the answer to that from this book and from her perspective is, is the story of reincarnation. So there's a prophecy in Tibetan culture um, that was by the ninth Dalai Lama and we're in the 14th now, right? So um, way back where mm-hmm. he says when, you know, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but, you know, there, there's certain signs and one of them was like when horses fly in the air, when, you know, something, something, yeah. then Buddhism will spread throughout the world. And, you know, a lot of Tibetans have taken this to be the prophecy of the um, Chinese invasion, because while the Chinese invasion wreaked havoc on Buddhist culture and Tibetan culture as a whole, um, and obviously there's tons of repression and, Mm. and issues with that, it has also forced Buddhism out of this tiny enclave and into the world. And now the Dalai Lama is a you know, one of the most recognized figures in the world. He is by far the most famous Buddhist person in the world. Um, you know, and, and that's when all the, the lamas came and, and brought Buddhism to, to this country in the UK and, and to, the, to the States and stuff. So there is a thought process within that community that reincarnation is happening like that in the sense that these kind of things are spreading. So her, how that plays out in this Mm. book is that she feels like when she meets her teacher for the first time, she is struck by an illogical, like, and inexplicable recognition that they knew each other in a past life. Mm. And the teacher, and the teacher similarly looks at her in this very, like, you know, I am having the similar hmm. recognition way and, and says, Oh, hello, so-and-so, whatever. And, and she also has a similar experience when she meets the Dalai Lama, where the Dalai Lama refers to her as something else. Hmm. And the people who are with her 
are quite shocked at that because he's not somebody that would have referred to a white woman, even a Buddhist nun in that way. So in that community of practitioners, there is, whether you want to call it a belief or a thing that they are aware of that we know under normal circumstances and consciousness and whatever we are not, that... I've had yeah, those experiences. Exactly. I've, I've so, had those with people and with places. Yeah. But again, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept, the whole uh, the reincarnation and past lives and stuff. Like I've done past life regression, um, which was interesting in itself to do that. But I know there's spots in the world of places that I've been that I've never been before, but it feels like I've Home. been there before. Yeah. It's yeah. like oh, I can navigate around without like, hmm. Yeah, I walked these streets before. So exactly. So I think there's sometimes you you can think of it like this is a a coincidence that or that you know or just a series of cause and effects which has brought. She was looking for something. She went to India. She found this guy. Just happened to be this. But mm -hmm. the other story, which I think or she Nietzsche's would thing about the re re the eternal return, as in well, I think the thing that, that she whole. would subscribe to is that that there was a driver hmm. for that to happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's cool. that, that book. So awesome. It's by, um, Vicki McKenzie cave in the snow. So yeah. Cave in the snow. So you're going to go get your cave and live in it for three years. Sometimes when my house is Very loud, good. I want my cave. Yeah. Most of the time not. You should do it. I think <laughs> that should be a challenge. You should go live in a cave for at least a year. It's definitely a challenge to yeah. live in a cave. Yes. Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right. Book number two for me. Um, is actually a play by Tom Stoppard um, called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, and there are two minor characters in Hamlet. Um, but Stoppard makes them the main characters of this particular play. I don't know if you've seen the play or not. Yep. Um, but this is one of these, this is one of these, this is one of these books that has all the messages. If we're talking reincarnation and past it's lives, it's like what you had before the Matrix. Set. But this is my Matrix. I know. But the same and also T. S. Eliot stuff. This that same conversation is in the Wasteland and the Hollow Men. Right. It's in here. It's also in Dante's Inferno. But there's a there's a, and in fact when what I what is that conversation? How do we know we know? Um, it's how do we know that we know might be one of them, but there's this, um, I don't know, maybe the sense of fate and destiny and that sort of connection with things that all things are interconnected in, in, remind in this me manner. of the scene where he, where they're talking about that. Um, or in here, there's, where, the, there's, there's that bit, isn't it? Where it's like, if I did this, and I could mess them all up. And yeah, there's a, there's a number of scenes like that. We're yeah. talking about the spokes and the wheel, and if I just went this way, it would mess up everything. Um, in fact, one of the things that I liked about this was a number of different things. One is the, you know, the boat analogy that they have in here um, where we're talking about free will, and you have the, the boat is... So we don't have free will in the sense that you have free will to move around on a boat, but the boat is on a course to go somewhere. So you're going wherever that goes. And he talks about this whole sort of, you know, we're a, a spoke in the wheel. 
and that's the bit you were referring to there that what happens if I don't want to play along um, right. and there's that whole sort of summoning so you know in the distance and we heard and it was already decided even before we even began um, that this is the course of, of, of sort of of things and how it was going to happen so um, yeah I just all the, I mean I got this book is so oh yeah his wheels have been set in motion and they have their own pace to which we are condemned each move is dictated by the previous one that is the meaning of order if we start being arbitrary and your bit about just yeah, doing whatever right. um it'll be shambles at least let us hope so because if we happen just happen to discover or even suspect that our spontaneity was a part of their order we know that we were lost i know that's that moment in the matrix too where it's mm. like you are part of the system yeah. Isn't it? Oh. Yeah, part of the system. The spontaneity is part of the system. I was looking at the, um, um, some stuff on YouTube where they were doing the ending explained. There was some interesting stuff. I have to do an episode on The Matrix itself, all, the whole of those three um, trilogies, I think. Yeah, But there's just so many quotes I have. We cross our bridges when we come to them, burn them behind us. Um, nothing to show for our progress except the memory of the smelt smoke and the presumption that uh, once our eyes watered and i mean these things just these yeah. things turn me on man <laughs> i like to know well, where i, I am I even if i don't know where i am i like to know that if we go there's no knowing and now now I you see me now. Of your <laughs> so, eyes right there. yeah i mean i just have i mean this book i whenever i'm just yeah i need to i think that's the thing about but, good books and yeah. I, I always think this is very true fiction yeah. even more than nonfiction, is that there are these bits of the story that just stay with you and just suddenly yeah. pop into your head randomly when they sort of apply to life or something somehow, or you've made that connection. Yeah. And, so. I, and I think it's another book that kind of, you know, feeling like an outsider. It's another book to me that speaks to the outsider in me and that you're almost out. There's a herd and they're doing their thing. And then these guys are sort of outside of that, but connected to it at the same time. And part of their curse is being aware of it. Yeah, right. As opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, being ignorance is bliss and all of that. Yeah, right. Um, yep. And I've always felt that in myself as like there was a time before the awareness where I would just, you know, you'd just be doing, doing what everything else, you know, like my Homer Simpson thing, I call it, you know, I just want to be Homer Simpson. But once you. Once, once you make the crack, once you, you can't close it, but you can't close it, can you? Once you, no, away, once no, you, you open it up, you can't you go can't back. I can't do cipher. I can't do the, you know, yeah. put me back in the matrix. I don't remember nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, and sometimes yeah. I do long for that because you can't, it's, I can't turn it off. But sometimes it seems that it would be better, that life would be better or happy or whatever yeah, without if that. Can. If I could just turn it off and be like Homer Simpson. Yeah. I would be much happier person. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, okay. that's it. It's a play. Stop, yep. uh, Tom like Stoppert, Virgin Prince, and Gilda Stern are dead. So, my next book, which I would say that if I was going to recommend people read a book, particularly if you are trying to pursue some kind of creative venture, whatever that might look like, then this is um, a book I, I think everyone should read. It's called I'm Running Down a Dream by um, uh, uh, Tim Grohl. And uh, let me see if I can get the uh, notes up on it. But um, 
he uh, he so so this is a book that is a personal journey story about the the truth behind the creative process mm. let's say and i think he had a very similar reaction to things that i've heard you say which is like an exhaustion with the help, self-help story or the success story so um you know yes i had my failures but look where i am now and stuff like that and he was sort of like that isn't how i experience the creative work i am paralyzed by fear sometimes sometimes i use procrastination to you know overlay a lot of stuff that i don't want to deal with and you know all these sort of things so i think that um his his story is incredibly honest like i, I just i'm not sure i've read a book I won't want to say never because, you know, mm. never say never. But this is one of the most raw and honest books I have ever read. And I think one of the things he says quite early on is people only tell you about their failures when those failures are the things that led directly to success. They don't tell you about all the times that they failed really spectacularly and it led to nothing and that they followed a bunch of dead ends and that those didn't lead to connections that made it all better in the end that it made them it brought them to the point of you know lying on their bathroom floor feeling like they couldn't make their next rent check and wanted to give up and just you know felt like a complete failure and needed to go back to their day job or go back to their whatever or mm. you know so but i think the other thing that's quite interesting about this book and i think i feel one of the reasons i'm going to come back to it again and again is because it's also a very um, detailed portrayal of as you advance in the creative process, different obstacles come up. So it's not just, oh, and then I got over my fear and I dance, you know, as Seth Godin says, dance with the fear. Mm. It's like, and then I did, and then it was fine. It's like his journey looks much more like first I was doing this, like, you know, first he was, you know, wanting to do this all you know other thing and just spent all day playing video games and not doing it and was completely paralyzed with fear and wasn't doing you know and had to really get serious about why am i not doing what i'm doing what not why am i not organizing my time blah, blah blah so then you get over that and then something else comes up and then you figure a way to get over that hurdle and then another hurdle comes up. And as you advance, so do the hurdles in mm. a way. And I, I found that to be quite helpful in the sense that his journey, while everyone's is quite different, there's a similarity to what happens as you advance through a creative process with yourself. Like different similar things come up mm. that is the next big thing that you have to level up on so yeah but i it think was, that's it i think that's a quite a, a common thing isn't it where you you keep and even if it even um, well you can take almost any process that it starts out in the beginning you have a set of challenges, the awkwardness but when you master that there's more to master so it's almost a never end it never ends yeah i mean there's a whole saying you know it's only over when you're dead and yeah, exactly, it, exactly. There's, there's always... That it, there's no, like, big happy ending. I mean, literally, no. the happy ending for him at the end mm. is 
the sort of realization and acceptance that he's always going to feel like he doesn't know what he's doing and the joy of the process and the the process of running down the dream Hmm. is the goal yeah the process so so trying to get to a point where you can enjoy rather than become overwhelmed and paralyzed with fear about the thing you want to do it's not like trying to get to the end point where once i have you know x y and z books you know published and i'm making making my millions and then i can just relax and i'll be fine it's like no you're gonna sit down to write the next book and go through the whole thing again feel like you can't write you know and that that is true you know you know you have the saying about you know it's it's the journey not the destination yeah it's that whole yeah but then but process. then he's re- i think the thing that makes this book really different for me is that he is very um very honest about the detail about what that looks like behind the scenes mm. you know and that that's quite nice so yeah, yeah i so, think it's, yeah, it's good when you're able to see because that's part of the problem what you know we talked to before about instagram and facebook and twitter and all those things is you're only seeing the highlights. And even when people show you stuff that's gone bad, you're only, you know, selectively showing and creating a picture. But no one's showing you all the in-between spots, you know. And there's that saying about it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, but no one talks about all the stuff that people have done to get to the place um, to where, you know, they were where they were able to have that success. Yes. Um, and I remember, um, I don't know if you, like Danny Danny Glover, um, and is it Danny or the son? But anyway, but he was saying like he used to make all his YouTube videos that no one was watching and they're like, because um, people just thought, oh, he just all of a sudden got this community thing. It's like, well, no. If I hadn't been making these yeah, dumb right. YouTube videos and putting so them up. Long. Um, I mean, I, they would have seen the one thing and there wouldn't have been anything else to go and see. Yeah, but it was, yeah, uh, yeah. it's all, yeah. And I, I always like that. I like it when you get to see um, the the whole of the, the process because then you can relate, can't you? So yeah, completely. Uh, otherwise, you're kind of like, you can see the end. I think the other thing is the emotional journey that you go on mm. with him is like so resonant with my own and I'm sure very quite a lot of people's journeys with it with any kind of creative venture whereas you're like oh my gosh even this is the life. big thing it's this not is even the big just thing. creative it's yeah, just completely. life as well isn't it? and then you know you're like oh this thing this thing and then you finally figure out how to conquer that thing and you're like yes i'm winning and then something else get you know hits you in the face and you're like oh mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna like i got it now i gotta scramble around and figure out this whole other thing and then you finally figure out that and it was it was quite funny because this read is very much like that it's sort of every time you sort of get to a point where you're like yay oh yay oh you know and that and that is the creative process i think and and even even the knowledge that that is the process that you know the celebration is going to be followed by another challenge is quite helpful yeah, because it doesn't come unexpected anymore. But I think, and that's a great life lesson. I think that's one of the journeys of life to understand that it's not a straight line. Yeah, it's a series of zigzags. There's going to be extreme highs, extreme lows. Yeah, um, and how do you, you know, again, pick yourself up and carry on? Um, I think there's that question that sometimes people try to hang on to 
tight to things because yeah, it's yeah. everything's going good but i don't want it <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. it's going to come and it's how do you how do you pick up and overcome that yeah. um the ups and the downs that's right? right so that's running Riding down a wings. dream by tim grawl and grawl is g-r-a-h-l all right cool so, yeah. yeah i'll look up for that because i almost was going to um bring the so the war of art but i wasn't feeling it because oh, right, okay, he yeah. talks about yeah the whole well he's a big press field fan yeah. this is the sort of what is what does the war of art look like yeah. on the ground? Yeah. Is, is this yeah. book? Yeah. All right. My last one in a game of tennis, W or Timothy Galway. Um, and some would say kind of like the um, father, grandfather, whole sort of coaching movement in terms of okay. how it moved into the sort of corporate and life coaching and personal coaching and all of that. Um, he was a tennis coach. Um, and one of the things that he noticed when he was working with people is, you know, this effort that you put in and that the more harder people tried, the worse they did, even though they knew what they do, they knew the logic of, you know, the backswing or what have you. Um, but they would get so intent on doing it and they would get down on themselves and all of that. Um, and then I, for whatever reason, he had this, he, one person, I think it was a lady he was working with and he's like, okay, well just notice the ball because they were working so hard and the only instruction was just look at the ball and then tell me what you see which way were the the, the thing spinning when it was coming at you and when he took her mind off of i gotta execute my backhand like that and just notice the ball she did knew it. what to do well she didn't notice she was doing it but she was doing it without because she was no longer in her own way right. um in that space so then he kind of um, expands from there um i think that's the thing that. about the running down a dream and it sounds like this too it's like somehow sometimes getting out of our own way is the hardest thing to do because yeah. we are the problem <laughs> so yeah. it's hard to hard to fix the problem when you are the problem when you're when you're and and you're blind to how you're the problem yeah that's you, your that's your blind spot you become in the problem and not able to take yourself out of the problem and sort of look inward so basically um you know just looking in the sort of intro and in, in the sort of thesis of the book and what it's saying it's about um it's not about mastering just the external stuff. The mastery really comes when you look to master inside. So when you have to deal with um, lapse of concentration, nervousness, self-doubt, self-confidence. So all these habits of mind yeah. that inhibit your excellence and performance. And it's how do you turn towards those things and sort of deal with them. Um, as it kind of goes on, he talks about the self one and self two. Um, and gets into these different characters or archetypes that you might have in your head and what they play um, in that. And most of this is about awareness and self-awareness, being able to step back and be aware of what's happening inside right. um, yourself when these things happen. So just like he took people's attention off of the ball or after the swing, but mm -hmm. just focus on the ball and be aware of um, what's happening in the environment, what, being aware of cell, then their body starts to make the correction. So it's very much just a, a, about or methodology or a philosophy of life in that sense of um, being aware of what's around you and noticing things. Like we were talking in the episodes, maybe two episodes ago, where it's like, where in the body do you feel that emotion? Yeah, so that's yeah. a very much a inner game concept. Yeah. Is you know, where in the body do you feel? 
the anger or the fear and then what else happens outside of what else are you aware of when you get that feeling in your left part of your arm for instance and then kind of work out from there um and one of the cool things that i like about this book you see this is another one of my super highlighted books yeah um because a lot of things are in between that and he walks you through a whole bunch of different exercises that you can sort of do but one of the things that um and have you seen the movie point break yeah and the whole sort of surfer thing because he was talking about you know why does the surfer wait for the big wave and maybe this is and you may have just said something similar to this so and it's about the challenge the next challenge so why does the surfer wait for the big wave because again if i if i just do with what's in my comfort zone or i do what's just below it then how do i push myself to that next level to grow so the war isn't and the opponent even when you're playing this any sport it's not the other player it's actually you the other player is just the external representation of your inner self and that's who you're actually playing against and this is what he was saying with the wave as well so um so that you know this dealing with that obstacle and then that obstacle actually is the person's inner self which i always found interesting that and um, the other book I was going to bring was The Dark Side of the Light Chaser because she talks about this, Debbie Ford talks about this a lot, is about noticing that shadow self. And I know we've talked mm-hmm. about the shadow self as well. So um, it's, you know, whatever opponent or whatever thing that you're battling against, that is you and noticing yeah. that. And then, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You're having that that inner game. Interesting. It's a very good. It's, yeah. a, it's a very short read. I mean, it's only 125 pages, um, so it's a very short read, and so and it's well worth it um, to get that sort of insight into, you know, your inner game. Cool. Um, but we use it in coaching a lot because um, it kind of developed into that and getting people to notice yeah, yeah. the stuff and them and what's what the real issue is and that sort of internal yeah game so yeah that that's okay, me that's yep. your three that's my three so my last one is um daring greatly by Brene brown and uh i picked this book up after i listened to her ted talk of mm. i probably the same name that's basically about um how she realized that she was sort of keeping herself small and this is the sort of like playing like playing big or mm. you know or playing for the playing big, get small the big, get the big wave is, is <laughs> sort of i feel like has become mm. a big thing because of her mm. and because um of that popularity of that ted talk but um yeah again it's sort of one of those things that she has this great um the book is sort of bookend bookended with um a story um that is about the man in the arena and it's a um a, a part of a speech that was given by Theodore Roosevelt, I want to say. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. This is the thing I love about um, our thing. Okay, so the man in the arena. And um, the passage that made the speech famous is this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deed could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. 
but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least falls while daring greatly. There's and, a big um, quote in the military that we have in most of our, a lot of our literature, we have that quote. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, um, you know, and, and a bigger part of the quote is about um, what happens in your mind before you enter the arena. So it's, um, you know, the the moments before you go when you convince yourself that you're not ready, that you need more prep or that um, people are going to laugh at you or that, um, you know, all of the things that could be said and could be and, and we all resonate with those voices in our head that tell yeah. us that we're not ready yet or that, um, you know, what we have done isn't good enough yet or whatever. And so, yeah, so that's been a, a big yeah. sort of read for me and. Because I think I was good, as you were saying that, I was just thinking of uh, my time as a judo player. Again, it's just like you said, it's like I remember just a big match and coach was pulling me out and stopped, you know, a little timeout thing. It was like, you're playing, you're not playing to win, you're playing not to lose. Yeah, right. And so you're having all those, being defensive and all that. And I think also there's, you know, a real courage that comes from putting yourself out there because you know that some you're going to do something that somebody's going to criticize. And that's really hard, you know. But it's, it's all those, it was, so we got all these internal demons and we got all the external demons, isn't it? And yeah. I think, especially say, in the age of Twitter and, you know, everything else. Well, like, absolutely. They and will I think our inner known. demons are probably the worst though, isn't yeah. it? Because you're living with it inside your yeah. head and how yeah. many things, how many conversations how many? How often do you stop yourself from doing something because of the inner conversation that you have, or the story yeah. that you're telling yourself? And yeah, I, I do that say, all the time. Not good enough. Not this. Don't have this. And missing all these things, and then they become big. They become. Um, in fact, I have a. In fact, I just sent this to a friend, but I have a book outline. I outlined this book years ago, um, and it's saying that I picked up, and I don't know how to say it in in, Pol- in Polish, but. In English, it's called The Fear Has Big Eyes. Um, and I just always wanted to write a book with that title. Ooh, so I outlined, the whole, I, I outlined the whole book for this thing. But it says, uh, you know, in our heads and it just gets, the fear gets yeah. bigger. But actually, it's, it's probably not even a big fear, but we've made it yeah. big inside our minds. And then it consumes us and it stops us from doing the things that, you know, that we want to do or to yeah, achieve yeah, yeah. or to go for. Um, and I don't think society doesn't help us out either because we don't um, like failure either. So yeah, it's so yeah. But it's I think that that's whole... the thing too. It's like to, in a way, failure has been wrongly sort of defined for us, mm. and we yeah. need to kind of redefine it for ourselves. We need ourselves. to recapture it and retake it and understand that you know failure is a is a is a yeah. good thing. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So all right. So go very read. good. Go, read. go go get some reading. Then will you link all these in the show notes? Yeah. Sorry about that. And many people can Yeah, and also go navigate. Um, in fact, if you're thinking about buying the book, we're going to list them in the show notes anyway. It's another way of helping to support the show anyway because we get that little percentage back from Amazon with our little affiliate links. Oh, do we tech person? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, so so that would be another great way to support the show. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. 